Okay. So, start us off. Okay. So. Stern rebuke. Okay. <coughs> sure. Should have worn my glasses for this. Makes me look mean. Um, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, we are still looking at the Peter equation or Peter's discipleship code. And uh, since we've been doing it for a couple of weeks there's, a, weeks, there's a good chance that most of us already think we have an idea of what's going on, kind of know where we're going. So I'm going to ask everyone to just stop thinking what you're thinking right now. Don't think anything. And then continue not thinking anything for the rest of this teaching. Because obviously whatever we're going to teach is eventually going to be applicable to all of us, but we have come to be taught by the Apostle Peter, and when the Apostle Peter wrote what he wrote, he did not write it applicable to our own personal lives. He wrote it as eternal truth. And so later, we'll go home, we'll listen to the teaching again, we'll read the scriptures again, and then we will see how it pertains to us and how we apply it and how we walk it out. But for now, while we're here... Don't hear it and immediately try to see how it pertains to you personally or to your walk. Just hear it for what it is as truth. And then later we can start dissecting it and seeing what it means for us and to us. <clears throat> how was that? That's spot on. <laughs> Let's quickly reflect on last Sunday. How is, uh, easily does it happen to us that while we're listening to the Word of God, we inevitably start applying it to myself. Now, it has to be applied. It has to be implemented. It has to be lived. But the distraction of trying to implement it while we're listening is um, destructive. It's going to steal from you. Okay? Make sense? So if you were uh, doing a, if you were in a class and they were doing CPR, showing you how to do CPR in case of an emergency, and you were sitting there thinking about how gross it would be for your mouth right now, how much of the CPR thing would you actually get? Because now you, your, your sight, your vision goes away from what you're actually supposed to learn to how you feel about this, how this would impact you. And it could happen with Bible study as well, so we get it. Okay. Now, how much does faith as an eternal truth pertain to me personally? Was faith given so that I could have it? Yes, but not primarily. Okay. So do you want to explain to us if we put our photograph there? Yes, I'll do that whole thing. Okay, so. <clears throat> We've done faith a million and one times by now. Uh, two weeks ago or so, we said that Faith, when it is given, the revelation of resurrection, New Jerusalem, all of that, always should happen in this order. Ignore that, these three things. 
First and foremost, it is revelation, understanding, vision of God's eternal kingdom, his finished work, the new Jerusalem. Then from that, we just cross the line, when we just cross the line from eternity back into our realm, it becomes the body, his entire salvation plan from the beginning to the end. Every believer that will ever walk the earth, the seed of God, how God is going to redeem all of them and reconcile all of them into Messiah in the end of the day. So that is what we behold on this side of the dividing line. And then thirdly, within the vision of the kingdom, but uh, what's the word? So the vision of the body and his salvation plan is, is contained within the, the vision of the kingdom, the revelation of the kingdom. Within that revelation, there is the revelation of what he is going to do with my life in the <coughs> context of his salvation plan, in the context of his eternal kingdom. Never the other way around. Okay, so when faith was given to Abraham, God didn't show him a vision of how... He is going to be the father of faith for all generations to come and he will also he will bear the promised seed and from his line Messiah will come. He didn't show him that first because it wasn't about Abraham. He showed him New Jerusalem first. In New Jerusalem there was him and all his descendants, but that wasn't the point. He didn't God didn't show him New Jerusalem and show him us. No, it worked like this. <laughs> first he saw New Jerusalem big picture then it zoomed in like, like in the movies and then <laughs> he zoomed in on Abraham standing in the glory and then he was like wow look at me and the whole me thing New paused Jerusalem. for a little bit and Abraham was looking around light shining uh, light breeze was flowing his, his robe look how glorious my hair is his, his hair was just doing <laughs> and this and my beard and slowly <laughs> lifted his hand and just went. <laughs> and he went, wow, Lord, what a vision of faith. I can believe for me being and glorified. And then the Lord walked over to him <laughs> and he hugged him. And went, Abraham, I'm so proud of you. And tapped him on the shoulder. <laughs> Have a fruit of life. <laughs> and then they wrote an entire book about Abraham. Because he was such a great man. And that's it. We believe in Abraham. No. Do we get it? Okay, so the vision was about what? Not about Abraham. So Abraham could see New Jerusalem. He could perceive all his descendants and all the believers, all those who God had predestined to be part of New Jerusalem. But it wasn't about the individuals. It's not like his faith was seeing every individual's life playing out on earth. So if that's true, then how does, how does it work when we have faith, but the faith stops? So what happens often is we understand that the vision faith is the revelation of New Jerusalem. <coughs> it's the plan. It's the plan on this side. And then we understand that we have a role to play. And then somehow the faith gets stuck kind of stops with, oh, but it's, it's about my role to play. But luckily it's part of the plan. Luckily that's part of the kingdom. So in essence, I'm still looking at the plan and the kingdom, but I'm focusing on my life. Is that really faith then? Somewhere as I'm looking through this vision tunnel to <coughs> all eternity and his glory, I just quickly have a look on the road to see where I am. Oh, there I am. 
Oh, my future. Lord, just can we quickly talk about my future and all the blessings and all the things and then that's what we do. We divert our gaze and all of a sudden the eternal vision is focused on me somewhere and then before long it goes from me in the future to me yesterday and the week that passed and all of a sudden I'm looking backward not forward. So, so we want to stress this. This equation, this process, not for that purpose. We get it, right? So let's quickly take, okay, we take Johannes' mind quickly and we put, when he well, starts with faith, he puts his own picture there. Yes. Because remember, this whole equation <coughs> is revolving around vision. We understand that. When we read the scripture, we see that the point of adding all these things is obviously Peter's discipleship code for all of us to grow to maturity, but it's all based on vision, of being able to perceive, being able to persevere, being able to continue into fullness, into perfection. So it's all about vision, what we see, what we behold. When I was a little boy, uh, I don't know if they still do that, boys. I would build a hole, make a whole heap of sand and stone, then I would hollow it out. We've got to do it carefully. It's not the, I didn't live here. In the free state you have sand that can stay in one place. (laughs) Okay, you'll never be able to do it here, forget it. Then you hollow it out very carefully and then you have this mount with this, and it's a garage. And then I could make little roads and then I could play with my little cars and I could go into my garage and all kinds of things. Okay, so what was I doing? I was actually practicing that whole thing, visualizing, without realizing, just visualizing the future. I could do that for hours, didn't think of anything else, didn't focus. My mom could talk in the background about unimportant things like cleaning your room and doing your homework. I didn't even hear that. Okay, didn't intrude into my vision of the future, because the car was probably a Ferrari or a something. Uh, that's what it was, and that was the future. Okay, I, hopefully I didn't realize that I didn't want a mound of mud being my house one day. With only a garage. Boys don't do the rest of the house. Girls do the rest of the house. Boys do the garage with the car. That's about as far as you go, and there's a horse somewhere, and that's it. Okay, so... No, the fish were real back then. It wasn't a game, it was already real. Fish Manifested. Never a game, <laughs> fish were never a game. Since I was seven, that was there. Manifested. The car I had to wait for. But, um, okay, so we get it. That was actually just practicing that. Our inherent ability to look at who we are to become the bigger world. Now, the only difference is that this is not about us. This is about us in, in Him, right? Okay. Us being conformed to His image. Us being conformed to His image. So what happens if we <coughs> enter this process and we go, okay, wonderful, faith. I'm going to apply faith and I stick a picture of me in there and go, yes, me in faith. 
here I go, being conformed to an image of me with perfect face. How's that going to go? Okay, we've all done this. Don't laugh. <laughs> we, we do it correctly. We do it the right way. Okay, we don't do it wrong. We do have the image of him on his throne, but I'm right next to him. As perfect true. as he is. It's true. It's true. So, it's true. I'm there. Like, I'm the guy at the right hand of glory. Yes, yes. And I start, my intention is to look at his glory, but then I see me. And I go, my gosh, I'm so perfect and I'm right there. And I am worshipping him, but I'm just going, you're doing well, and I like you, and that's me. And, okay, who hasn't done this? Have you not done this? Never. So you don't even imagine yourself in heaven? How are you going to get there? You've got to know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so anybody else that have done that? Is it only me again? Okay, so there's more. Okay. So, all right. So we get the picture. Okay. Now virtue. Let's try that one. So we want to build faith for virtue. We want to develop vision for virtue. So what do we do? Is the good idea to stick a photograph of you there? With perfect you in perfect virtue. Okay, the problem is the moment you imagine yourself as perfect virtue, the whole thing goes horribly wrong. It can never work. So every time I put you there, when I'm imagining virtue, it goes wrong for me. <laughs> okay, so, so do we get the picture? Okay, it must remain an unspoiled, pure vision of His glory, the glory cloud, the body, all in Messiah, and not me defined in there. See, being conformed to Him doesn't mean that I'm going to grow, 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 and then one day I'm going to be just as perfect as He is, but still me, but just as perfect as He is. Because that can't be. He is the only perfect one. So being conformed to His image means the more of this I add, the more I behold this, the more I am conformed to this image, the less I become, because I am not these things, the more He is. And now it becomes tricky because I still have to apply it to me because I do exist. All right. Okay. <laughs> I've got to understand that I am going to become less until I am nothing. And it's that me that I can bring into the equation. The one that's nothing like me. The one that is him. Okay, so in that equation, I understand that there's a me that is conformed to him. <clears throat> and I can draw from that. That's eternity mindset. But then you've got to take the whole picture away. You've got to cancel the picture of you. You cannot have an image of you. Because any image of you is not that. Conformed to glory, from glory to glory. Right? Okay, I know that we start off thinking we're glorious, but life will teach you otherwise. Okay? <laughs> All right, so we get that. Now, can we have a look at virtue? That is virtue. Mm. 
Now, b while she's getting that, we just wanted to make sure these eyes, the self-control and the perseverance, it is looking there. It's looking at His glory, and that's Yahweh's glory. It's looking at Messiah. Messiah is the Son of God with all of us in Him, in the Father, as one existence of all that is left. Does that make any sense? Right? Okay, so that's Messiah. It's still Yahushua, but it's Yahushua before uh, a little cell was taken out of him and he created Adam. But after all of us have been redeemed into Messiah, so all of that, that's Messiah, right? Okay, so that's you, Yahushua. And so the Yahushua, Messiah, the body, his glory, the whole kingdom. Now, okay. The moment you take your self-control vision of him, is there any possibility that self-control can last long-term or work long-term? We can get it right on our own for short periods of time. Is that true, Elijah? How's your self-control doing? It is diminished. From, from, from zero and naught to what? <laughs> It's diminishing from, it was zero, now it's less. Okay, so you're a normal human being. Okay, and perseverance. How's your perseverance doing? You don't need it too much yet. You just have to do your homework. And uh, Am I right? Yes, yes. <laughs> perseverance. You've got to persevere on a daily basis. It'll get, it'll get better as you grow older. <laughs> Is that all right? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe before yeah. we look at the virtues, do you want to, okay, wait, do you want to do this first or later? The adding it, adding it, adding it, adding it, adding it. Mm. You see, we've got to get a very fine balance perfect here because if we if we get this wrong, then we can end up thinking inevitably in this process. We can look so much at the, did I establish faith that I think, no, not enough yet, and we go like, I've got to perfect faith first before I can move on to virtue. Okay, so we have to add every step in sequence. But what is the secret to that? What's the principle that is the key to this? Guess, guess the principle that's key. Return, repeat, redo. The Return, repeat, redo. Okay, now can I ask, check yourself. Are you thinking return, repeat, redo on a daily basis all the time yet? Is it happening? Okay. It's something we want to incorporate in our thinking. Return, repeat, redo. Return to what? So repentance is his image, his character, his person. So you have to return in repentance from where you've been in yourself, busy with yourself, to this. Am I right? So that's the big picture of that principle. But also we implement this as we go through the day, as we go through the hour. We implement these things. It's going to happen naturally. 
if we're going to look at virtue now, and you'll see how as you, your heart changes, naturally you'll start to return to some of these aspects. Now, as we get to know and understand the Word of God, we are reminded by the Holy Spirit, so naturally we do return to, oh, I used to think of faith this way, now I understand faith biblically, so I return there and I redo it. It doesn't make sense. Okay, it's very important. It sounds like the simplest little things we're talking about today, but it's so vital that we get it right. Because otherwise we go, okay, I must first get all the knowledge of God right before I can move on to self-control. Is that ever going to happen? No. Okay, so or I must get perfect self-control in place before I can persevere. Does it make sense? Doesn't make any sense, right? Okay. So we'll relook at that just now. Is that okay? Can we move yeah, on to this right. and then we'll relook at it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can say what you no, want no, to no, say. No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Let's look at this is has been formulated on the internet. We we didn't have to do anything. This has been a part of human knowledge for a very long time. This Okay, so this is a godly perspective, but it's amazing that even the worldly philosophers had a version of this. So it's just real. The virtues. These are a lot of virtues. Orderliness. Orderliness. Okay. Now, what did we start off doing? When we started getting together for fellowship, what was the one thing that we ministered all the time? Orderly discipleship, an orderly process. God is a God of order, am I right? Okay, so orderliness is godliness. What does he do when he comes into our lives, into our world? He starts to bring order, order to our thoughts, our chaotic thoughts, order to our emotions. So yes, sometimes the, on earth, some of the aspects of our lives may still contain disorder for a while because of consequences of years of us living in a certain way. Sometimes it takes years and years to sort out, mm. bring everything into order again. Because we created chaos. Okay, we create chaos. <laughs> so God created us in His image and His likeness and he created us with the ability. I want you young people to now just listen to this one part. He created us with the ability to create. Have we noticed? We create our lives. So think of an uncle or an aunt. Who created their life? God or them? God gave them life, but they created their world. They created the way they live, how their lives work, how it's put together. Am I right? Humanity. We can complain about the way that the world works all we want, but humans did it. We did it. We have the ability to create. Okay. We even create gods. We have that power. We can create gods. 
we look in the mirror and we start creating the biggest God of all gods on a daily basis. Don't we do that? Okay. Now, orderliness. Achieving our goals by doing the things we should do. Now, this is the godly, virtuous way. When we should do them, so we, we're doing the things we should do when we should do them and how we should do them. This is also involved with keeping oneself physically clean and neat and one's belongings in good order. A virtue. Tough one. I think we should stop there. And <laughs> Generosity, now that's better, that's easier, that should have been top of the list, generosity. The attitude, now before you look at that, what did we think it was going to say? I must just give things to people. The attitude and habits we demonstrate when we give towards the needs of others in a willing and cheerful manner. In a willing and cheerful manner. What is the main motivation, uh, if you're in high school, what's the main motivation behind giving a Valentine's card to someone? Was it generosity? <laughs> Was there any selfish motivations behind the card? Or whatever you gave. Buy a rose for a girl in school if you want to experience stress. <laughs> Is she going to like it? Is it good enough? No? Okay. Well, like Christmas gifts or birthday gifts oh are the same gosh. thing. It's more stressful for the person giving the gift because did I get the right thing? Should I have gotten something else? Are they going to like this one? What are they going to think if it's the wrong thing? What are they going to think? I don't know them. Is this did a reflection right? of our relationship? Did I get it right? Did they open it? Why haven't they sent me a message to tell me what they think of my gift? A week later, it's like, they didn't like my gift. I'm never giving them a gift again. <laughs> didn't they see how much effort I put into this? Okay, so that's the, the, let's have a good look at generosity. See the attitude behind it that they worked in in a willing and cheerful manner. Okay, so even getting generosity, even if we've been giving people, we are a person that gives, getting the heart of generosity, the virtue of generosity right, seems difficult, isn't it? Okay. Fortitude. Now, this is top of my list. It's been top of my list for a long time. I love this one. You would have put it in number one. I love fortitude. The courage to stand up for what is right, even in the face of pressure. I found that they should have added something to fortitude. It's one thing to stand up. But I think true fortitude is to then remain in that position. Mm. To remain standing. To remain there. Do prudence for us. Prudence. The virtue that allows us to determine what's right and what's wrong and then act accordingly. Prudence could also be called wisdom. I'm hoping that everybody's looking at this and seeing this is worth more than gold. Okay, I 
love reading this. I get goosebumps when I read this. This is, this is beauty, in, possible beauty in a human being. Okay, virtue, prudence. Look at that prudence. Does anybody desire that ability? And if you have the ability already, do you desire to see how much it can be developed in you? Prudence. Do now try and think for a moment. Do and without judgment. No, it's not possible. Let's as an exercise. <laughs> Let's see if we know. Do we know any person that lacks prudence? So lacks the ability to to determine what's right and what's wrong, or it could also be someone that knows what's right and wrong but can't act accordingly. Don't think of anybody in this fellowship. Think of someone outside. Outside. <laughs> Outward focusedness. <laughs> Don't think of me. Think of someone outside. Okay. So someone that lacks prudence, how, how much do we like spending time with someone that lacks prudence? There's an attitude of not thinking, not caring. caring. See, it's about caring about the people around you, circumstances, all of that. Prudence. Prudence big, huge. Prudence would be on a daily basis knowing when to, for instance, speak or when to listen, mm. when to respond and not to respond. Mm. Prudence. Prudence would be a person that knows what is right and then also doing what is right. But what would a lack of prudence do? A lack of prudence means a person knows what is right to do but is not going to do it. Mm. And obviously we apply this strongly to the word, not just in general life, but I mean that's why we lay such a heavy emphasis on, on wisdom continuously, um, because that's what they say, it can also be called wisdom. And we often say, so knowledge becomes understanding, becomes wisdom. So it's one thing to know what the Bible says, it's another thing to then understand what it says, why it says it, how to apply it. And then wisdom is to be able to, when a situation arises or just in life generally, be able to walk it out, to do what is right according to the word. Prudence. Okay. What do you think of that, Elijah? Prudence is, sounds good, right? Okay. Oops. Where did we go? <laughs> now, justice is one of those things where we often can get it wrong. Giving to others what they are rightly due. Now, our, our modern idea of justice could have been changed from this basic concept. Okay. So, I want to comment on this one. How did it happen 
that an actor makes more money than a, per a person that works in construction. How did our world lose the very foundation of justice? Because we think about justice just in uh, context to criminal behavior, court cases, mm. uh, law, order, those kind of things. Mm. But think about it for a moment. Okay. Now, let's think about the justice of God. He justifies us. Okay? Now, if God gave everybody what they deserved, what should be given, how would we be fearing? And yet, the word says that God is just. Am I right? Okay. Temperance. Go through that. Okay. Controlling our desires and wants in order to achieve a greater good and meet our life goals. Temperance could also be called self-control. <laughs> Controlling our desires and wants in order to achieve a greater good and meet our life goals. Okay. Assertiveness. Achieving goals by setting appropriate boundaries, asking for help when we need it, and being confident and positive about our abilities. Who thought that was assertiveness? Because I was quite surprised, pleasantly surprised. When I think of assertiveness, I think of like a CEO of a company coming like, this is the thing. But Okay, anybody surprised by the definition of assertiveness? Achieving goals by setting appropriate boundaries, asking for help when we need it, and being confident and positive about our abilities. Okay, this speaks to fear of man, right? Okay, speaks to pride, speaks to those kind of things. What causes us not to ask when we're supposed to ask? What does that? Let's talk about boundaries quickly. Can we do that? Okay. Our idea of boundaries. Now, one of the big things that happen when uh, we are led by the Holy Spirit and we start living according to the Word is that, uh, with other words, we save, renewed. One of the big things that happen is boundaries. Okay, let's quickly look at boundaries within the context of fellowship. How do you feel when somebody pushes your boundaries? How do you personally feel about that? Depends on who it is, does it? I'm, I'm just curious, because I don't like it. It does. So we have to literally be assertive in putting boundaries in place all the time, don't we? Mm. And we, if we allow other people to move our boundaries, then it impacts our lives. How much does it impact our lives? A heck of a lot. Mm. 
So is that something that we're actively pursuing in our lives, is to make sure that everybody knows where the boundaries are? Isn't that also part of orderliness? Mm. Part of orderliness. Boundaries. People always want to move our boundaries. But if we don't know what our boundaries are, is this one mine? If we don't know where our boundaries lie, then how will other people know where our boundaries lie? So this takes some formulating, right? Mm. Do you think there are like 27 of them? Okay, we'll go quicker. <laughs> <coughs> but these are the top ones. No, they are. But I mean, there are some good ones. Purposefulness. Okay. Purposefulness. Having a vision, clear focus, and concentration on goals. Mm. Okay. I'm sure you're making all the connections, connecting the dots. Modesty, pure of heart and action, especially in regards to dress and speech. Peacefulness, having a sense of inner calm no matter what is happening around you. Service, being helpful to the entire family of man. This can also be called bene beneficence. beneficence, which means helping the greater community for the common good. Clemency, handling disobedience, poor choices, and disputes in a reasonable and consistent manner by not being too strict, but not being too lax either. It's a really nice, it's a really nice one. I like that. Love clemency. Okay, but I want to just pause at clemency quickly. For parents especially, this is uh, mm. something that we should have been taught at school, <laughs> right? See, now, clemency means that we are s consistent, not too laxed, mm. not too strict. Um, I don't want to know what you're thinking. What are you thinking? Okay. <laughs> Very good. Helpfulness, being of service to others, doing thoughtful things that make a difference in their life. Kindness, expressing genuine concern about the well-being of others, anticipating their needs. Good counsel, seeking, seeking advice from a reasonable person. So it's virtuous to seek advice. Mm. Did we know that? Okay, so why is the virtue? <coughs> why is the virtue? Because think about the uh, effect it has when a person, firstly, does his own thing, has a bad result, then it does it again, has bad results, and then mm. keep doing the same thing. See, that can easily be understood as the opposite of virtue. Doesn't this also speak to humility? Mm, it definitely does. <coughs> Responsibility, fulfilling one's just duties, accepting the consequences of one's words and actions, intentional and unintentional. Honesty, sincerity, openness and truthfulness in one's works and actions. Respect, recognizing the worth and dignity of every single human person. 
tolerance, allowing other people to have their opinions about non-essential things and accept the preferences and ideas that are different from your, yours without compromising your own beliefs. I want to just to go back up, tolerance. See, we don't have to agree, but we don't have to have a knee-jerk reaction when mm. people see the world or things different than we do. Does that make sense? Okay. Perseverance, taking the steps necessary to carry out objectives in spite of difficulties. Good judgment, thinking rightly about a decision, sound decision. Gratitude, having a thankful disposition of mind and heart. Humility, having an awareness that all one's gifts come from God and appreciation for the gifts of others. Obedience, assenting to rightful authority without hesitation or resistance. Patience, remain, remaining calm and not becoming annoyed when dealing with problems or difficult people. This could also mean paying attention to something for a long time without becoming bored or losing interest. <laughs> Command, directly acting upon a sound decision. I like this one. I like this one. Command. <clears throat> Truthfulness. So the command with kind of be an opposite to double-mindedness. Do you see that? Okay. Truthfulness, acting in a way that inspires confidence and trust, being reliable. Moderation, attention to balance in one's life. Attention to balance. Loyalty, accepting the bond implicit in relationship and defending the virtues upheld by church, family and country. Courtesy, treating other people with respect, recognizing that all are made in God's image and likeness. Now, this one, not so much. Okay. But treating other people with respect. <coughs> yes. That we uphold. Affability, being easy to approach and easy to talk to, friendly. Affability. Okay, now ponder a little bit about on affability. Some people have it naturally. Mm. It's a virtue, it's part of that gift. And others have to actively um, cultivate it. Okay. Sincerity, trustfulness in words and actions, honesty and enthusiasm towards others. Prayerfulness, magnanimity, seeking with confidence to do great things in God. I like this one. Mm. Why it's so way down on the list, I don't know. Magnanimity. <laughs> I want all the young people to have a look at that one, the virtue of magnanimity. Seeking with confidence to do great things in God, literally having a large soul. What's the opposite? I'll tell you what the opposite is. When we build a little house and we live in it. Just a normal life. That's the opposite of that. Normal life. Nothing wrong with it. 
There's virtues in those kind of lifestyles, but this is a virtue that sets people apart. Does that make sense? Docility, willingness to be taught. Mm. And there's industriousness, foresight. Patriotism, meekness, circumspection, tact. This is a big one. Oops. Careful consideration of circumstances and consequences. Circumspection. Now, circumspection, the last one on the list, is something that we've been actively also um, cultivating within the group, right? Circumspection. Check yourself. Have you grown just by being part of a discipleship process, have you grown in circumspection? Okay. Now, quickly make the connection. How much of this is connected to self-control? If you just think of the virtues. Now, if you get this right, one week, or for one day, is it a virtue or did you just get it? Right. Okay, so virtue is when it becomes part of your character, mm -hmm. part of who you are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, this is our perspective on how these things pertain to us. Now, Solani is going to share with us from the perspective, perspective of God's character. Because we want to move through. So, virtue, add to that the knowledge of God, so what He knows. Okay, so God knows, no. <clears throat> Things are tough in your life, if you want to apply it to yourself, but you are called to be glorified, because that's why I called you, right? Okay. Then we add to that self-control and perseverance, but godliness, she's going to tell us more about that. Okay. Um, so I have a bunch of scriptures uh, that I looked at throughout the week um, to really go and see what is God's character, uh, really, and I'm going to share that with you all soon. Um, I first uh, quickly want to share with you guys a, a little, the journey I was on, I think, this week. Um, so through the course of, of um, discussing the Peter equation, um, and after last week's teaching, um, and that you guys have mentioned this morning again, how important vision is um, within this uh, whole equation that we need to apply to our lives. And I went and I looked at vision a little bit, um, and I realized that it, for me it's quite easy to think that I understand vision and to think that I know what faith is. Um, And when I went back, I understand it's His glory, and it's Messiah, and it's the body, and it's all of us gathered together in Him. And it's easy for me to bring this to mind, and to a certain extent, I believe that. And I know that I have vision, because I wouldn't be able to be here um, if I didn't have some vision. But I had to really go look and, and see, do I understand this? Do I understand what I'm looking at? Do I know what glory is? Um, do I know who Messiah is? Do I know what it looks like to be perfected? Do I know his character? Because if I don't know and it's not clear and it's not reachable, 
how will I attain? How will I work towards it? And how will I implement self-control and, and persevere then if, if it's not a clear image, if it is not attainable? Um, and so when Nadia Monek told me this week to go and look at God's character, um, it was a big task, but it was so wonderful to learn who he is um, and it, to learn who Yahweh is. Because I think it's easy um, for me to, I tend to look at Messiah and how he walked and how he is and, um, you know, how do I apply what he's taught us in the word, which isn't wrong because we are, that is where we're heading towards, Messiah-likeness. But I have separated, to some extent still, Messiah from Yahweh, from God is one. Um, and God has been somewhat distant still. Um, and looking at his character, I think it's, it's definitely starting to change that and to make me understand who he is and the part he plays and that they are one and they are not separate. Um, and if I'm becoming Messiah-like, I am becoming as Yahweh is. Um, because in the end, they they will be one God and one spirit. Um, so I'm just going to read these scriptures <laughs> and uh, share with you what I've learned about him. Okay. So, um, I don't know, there's quite a lot of scriptures and it's quite sporadic. Um, so I don't know if you perhaps would like to just listen with me and go and read at home. So I'm going to start with um, God being all-knowing and omniscient. Um, 1 John 3 verse 20. Uh, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Isaiah 46, verse 10. Interesting that that's what that scripture says. <coughs> Can you read the first one quickly again? Yes. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So it's easy for us to think about the fact that God knows all things. God knows everything. But do we ever think about that God knows all things in context to what the scripture says? Is that our reality? Why is it important? Quickly check your process. For those that have been taking this seriously... Did any of you feel a little bit disappointed in yourselves during this process over the last three weeks? <laughs> little teeny weeny little bit of condemnation maybe. I should have, man, I should have had the sequence of faith and virtue and knowledge down by now and now we're doing it again and I go like, I'm not sure what I've done. God knows our hearts. 
if our hearts condemn us. I'm going to tarry here. Check. Does your heart have the right to condemn you? Does your heart have the right to condemn you? God knows all things. Okay. Okay. Now we're going to allow you to take a few moments and indulge self. We're going to go on with the character of God. <clears throat> so, take a few moments. Indulge. Do that thing that you do anyways. <laughs> Think about the things that you might have indulged over the last week, the things that you don't like about yourself, your actions, your thoughts, your person, your perseverance, your all that. Think, think about what you can allow to come out of your heart. Why is it in your heart? Why is it in your heart? Except if we are blatantly disobedient to the will of God. If we blatantly, continuously disobedient in an area, then you're not condemned, but repentance is required, right? So if we are walking out repentance, with other words, I'm not blatantly, intentionally resisting the will of God, then should there be any condemning from my heart side? So my heart's supposed to be the Holy of Holies and empty, except for the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? It's the law of God. You would think that could condemn me, and it would, if it wasn't inside a box with the mercy seat on top and the sprinkling of the blood. Now that same law that he has put in my heart is not going to condemn me. Now we're not saying that it's good the mistakes we do make, but that God called me and thought I wasn't going to make mistakes. When he called me, was he under the illusion and delusion that I was just going to, he's going to call me and then I was going to just be like Paul. Now, Paul says even he does things that he didn't want to do and the things that he was, knew he was supposed to do, he doesn't do. Okay, so he's going to conform it to the image of his son. Okay. <clears throat> so the all-knowing nature of God <clears throat> pertains to his justification of us, his forgiveness of us, and the plans that he has for us. What does the Bible say? Good. To prosper us. Not to harm us. Okay. Isaiah 46 verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Psalms 147, verse 28, verse 5, sorry. Psalms 
47 verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. And then moving on to omnipotent and almighty. Revelations 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 16 verse 7. And I heard another from uh, and I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Uh, Revelation 19 verse 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Omnipresent. Omnipresent. Jeremiah 23, verse 23 to 24. I am a God near at hand, says the Lord. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places, so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the, the evil and the good. And I'm going to go to love, God being love. 1 John 4 verse 16. And we, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. 1 John 4 verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then truth. God is truth. John 14 verse 6. Uh, just want to make sure. Yeah. Okay. Yahushua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Psalms 31. Verse 5. In your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. 
God is light. One John one verse five. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Revelations twenty one verse twenty three. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Revelation just. Not just. Oh, excuse me. Uh, going on to God being just. Psalms 7, verse 11. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from the, that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Ending. Merciful. Okay. Merciful. James 5, verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the, of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Psalms 116, verse 5. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. Psalm 37, verse 26. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Remember that God says of himself, he will show mercy <coughs> to whom he will show mercy. It's very important to understand. So we, we, when we're done through this list, we're going to see how beautiful the big picture is. So are we moving on to that one? Yes. Yeah. <coughs> gracious. God being gracious. Um, I just read... Psalm 116, verse 5, for mercy and gra he's gracious, also is in there. Um, so Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And then Psalms 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Right. Long suffering. One Peter. One Peter three verse twenty. 
who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Divine long-suffering. Um, Psalms 86. Verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. God is patient. Romans 5, 15, sorry, Romans 15, verse 5. Now may the God of all patience, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Messiah Yahushua. Righteous. Psalms. We can yes. go past that. We did the righteousness of God in, um, we did a deep, complete work of that, so we know that the righteousness of God, what that is. Right. Um, slow to anger, quick to forgive. Um, Exodus 34, verse 5 to 7. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay. Um, we know that Yahushua says that nothing is impossible for God. That we believe, right? It's a given. Now, I want you to close off with that. All right. God is spirit. 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we can end with that. that Thank you. Perfect. Yes, yeah, so that was the next one. Okay. 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 John, John 4 24. Um, God is Spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Very good. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. So we've looked at all the virtues. We are slowly moving over to godliness. What Solani shared is very right. We've got an idea of godliness. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, As dear, dear children, be imitators of God. So, I'm planning to become almighty. <laughs> All-knowing, omnipresent. 
So what do we do with this concept? Be imitators of God and then godliness is part of the equation. Okay, but to even begin to understand godliness, we need to look at the character of God. And the character of God obviously is big. So godliness is well out of my reach. And yet not. Yet not. We're going to look at the example of examples when it comes to virtue. Let's look at King David. Can you mm. read for us? Uh, okay, this is where the momentum increases, and now you need to keep up. Okay, just... just mm. <coughs> 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Ta-da, that's the story of David and Goliath. Um, but it's a long chapter, and we all know the story, and please go read it at home. We're just going to read the crux now. So let's read from, from verse 43. Bit of a run-up. Okay. So the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So this is after... Uh, 20 years of intensive discipleship. And training as a soldier. Training. That King David arrives on the scene full of the knowledge of God. And godliness and brotherly kindness. So what do we, what do we know about his official discipleship so far at this point? How old is he, more or less? We try to work it out. Mm. The best we could do is anything between 15 and 18. But remember that he receives a wife as part of his reward. So he's probably closer to 18. He's probably not like 12. He's probably younger than 20. Yes. <laughs> he's probably younger than 20 because if they were 20 years old, they could be part of the army. He was too young to be part of the army. And we know David, he probably would have been part of the army if he could. <laughs> well, he kind of worked his way in there. Kind of, I mean... <laughs> so, he was close enough to 20 that they allowed him. They made special concessions. So, he arrives on the scene and everybody goes, you're just a boy. You're not supposed to be here. 
when he's done, he's made captain over a thousand men and given a wife. And his father doesn't have to pay taxes. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, but that's not, that's not actually the most amazing part of the story, because it's quite amazing, right? Talk, from, talk about from rags to riches and back to rags. That's the story. But what's outstanding about this story, actually? So his virtue. This is the picture of virtue. But what is his virtue? What is it? You got it. You got it. This is what he walks onto that battlefield with. What does he proclaim? Just show us what he proclaims. Well, I can read the whole thing again, but basically... It's the Lord of Horus. Yes, that's... Well, yeah, okay. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with... But I come to you in the name of the Lord of Hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Okay, listen. How does he know that God is the Lord of angel armies? Have you ever thought about this? Okay, Sulani. Without the scriptures, just tell us the character of God. Go through the list. He is what? From the top. Go to your, if you go to your notes. I'm Everything. not expecting you to. Surprise, pop quiz. thinking She's like, <laughs> and she was ready to go for it as well. I like that. Lord, your anointing is upon me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All knowing, omniscient, omnipotent, almighty, almighty, omnipresent, love, truth, light, just, merciful, gracious, long suffering, patient, righteous, slow to anger, quick to forgive, spirit, nothing is impossible for God. No beginning or end, always the same, unchanging. His will is perfect, faithful, a man of war, unrelenting, fierce. He is a jealous God. Now take all of that. Take all of that, all that God is, and He declares me innocent. Take all that God is, omniscient, omnipresent. So He knows all things. He sees all. He knew this beforehand. There's nothing He doesn't know, nothing He doesn't understand. And He's all-powerful. And He's just. He's the judge. He's a jealous God. He's a man of war. He is Yahweh of hosts. 
may the case be innocent. Now, if we grow in our ability to know and understand who God is, those are words and concepts by which God makes himself known to us. And then, also what Solani also looked at is, how does Yahushua come and reveal the Father when he's on earth, by his actions, by his teachings? Now, take that. To the extent that we grow in that understanding, to that extent, we become virtuous. Innocent, in, innocently courageous. Innocently courageous. Can you read Psalm 16 for us, please? Mm. <clears throat> Do you not want to just explain this a bit more? And then... Do you want to? I'm just thinking we kind of just read it and moving on. <laughs> Um, see what's significant about about King David's attitude here is, like Charlene said, he's he's a shepherd boy. He's not he's not been trained in the Word or in the knowledge of God. He's not been trained in godliness. Um, we know that he does have an intimate, personal relationship with God, um, but I mean, the Holy Spirit only comes upon him the day when Samuel comes to anoint him as king. And this can't be much long after that. But then, what's so significant about this event is that King David shows up but, and he defeats, he defeats the giant in the name of the Lord and he comes because he's going to defend the Lord's honor and there's, there's a whole lot around that. But nowhere do we see that there's even the slightest inclination or suggestion that the Lord told him to do this. Does he go off a fast for two days and pray about this? Does he even do a small prayer going like, Lord, I'm doing this now, please help me. And we're not saying, obviously, we're not encouraging a disorderly, I'm just going to go out and do everything. That's, but, but, there is virtue in his, uh, his heart attitude and that he, he has enough faith to understand that God has revealed some of his character to him. He has enough faith in God's person, in God's character and understanding of God's plan so that he can take action in the name of the Lord of hosts but it's not, it's, not, it's not based on how well he's grown in his process. Does that make sense? I don't know if you want to expand on that. I cannot imagine the most more powerful prayer than the moment he walks onto the battlefield. He's already there. Mm. He's committed. Okay, if he turns around and runs now, it's all over for him. He's committed. He's there. And then his prayer is, I'm going to declare what I know about God into this situation. And he knows that God is the Lord of hosts, Yahweh. The translation, the, the original would be Yahweh, Lord of hosts. Yahweh of hosts. 
if you want, imagine what the other people, the soldiers, the armies, would have seen. So first, this child, this teenager boy, shows up in the trenches, talks nonsense. They take him to the king. Now he <coughs> goes into the, the king's tent, comes out of the king's tent with a staff and a little bag with pebbles, walks up onto the battlefield, kills the giant that they've been afraid <coughs> of for 40 days and 40 nights. And, the, and he proclaims this. What, what do they see? Yeah, this will give us just the beginning of understanding what we add to our faith when we add virtue. So again, his vision, what he's looking at, it's not depending on himself, it's not referring to himself, it's not there as himself. It's not, even, it's not even just based on the fact that the prophet came and anointed him as king. He's not walking up there and going like, let me tell you who I am. The Lord of hosts has proclaimed me king, so now I'm here to kill you. It's not, see, the, the ordering. He knows who he is in the bigger scheme, in the bigger picture, in the plan of God. But that doesn't, it's not about him. He just has a role to play. So he understands that he has a role to play so he can step up on the battlefield. But it's not about him and his destiny and his um, legacy. Yes, but he was angry because of the, what the Philistine was saying about oh, God, yeah, yes, well, and about well, God's well, nation. Yeah. And he was saying, why is no one taking action? He's defying the Lord. Yeah. So again, virtuous response. So why do you guys think we haven't taken this off the board? This is old teachings, and you've probably noticed that we have been leaving it here. Because we've been waiting disconnects. To all the to the previous teachings. Now, please start making the connections to the teachings from the beginning of the year, and then the principles last year, and the eternal. It all connects. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What was the substance of King David's faith when he walked onto the battlefield? Exactly this. So he could walk onto that battlefield because he entered into the very substance of faith. Very substance of faith. So he's literally the picture of perfect faith. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely, will be secure without fear of evil. Promises given that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature and escape. Now we're back at Peter. And Yahushua says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. That's covenant, right? Mm. Okay, so where, what is the source of our peacefulness, our rest, our confidence, our security, our safety, our provision? It is I, my peace I give to you. What is he saying? What is he saying? What is he giving us? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See how these scriptures 
all hinge on us developing this kind of vision. And now we're going to lead into just the beginnings of looking at godliness. Now keep in mind King David, his first big stepping onto the world platform. He steps on there, he declares probably the biggest of all mysteries and revelations, Yahweh of hosts. Psalm 16, please. We are still trying to develop a deep vision of virtue so that we can walk in self-control and perseverance together with faith. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Go to verse 5. O Lord, you are my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can you see that's the perfect, perfect full cycle of this process. Take this process, what faith is, what virtue is, what the knowledge of God is, what self-control and patience is, he shows that he, on the inside, are instructed from the truth that's in his heart. Now remember the, the, the verse that says, if your heart condemns you. What is his heart doing? Where is his heart steadfast in? Yes, God is all-powerful. He knows all things. He's just, he's jealous, he's the judge. And is the justifier of those that he foresaw, those he predestined, and those that he called to glorify them. For them to be part of this. Now, this process is for us to come in line with the truth of who he is and what he has decided to do. My godliness. We can slowly start moving on to godliness. But we're going to have to do it in layers. The godliness, His Spirit. God is Spirit. And we're going to close with this so that you can start to enter into this truth. So He creates creation. So that we can know that He's holy. 
separated from all that is physical creation, matter. Yet, all that is manifested as matter, creation, things that we can touch, we can measure, we can understand, all of that is created from him, out of him. Listen carefully. We want to start understanding godliness. So, within the material creation, there is nothing that is nothing. Listen carefully. See if you young people can get this. Okay. Use your intellect. Within the material creation, there is nothing that is nothing. You might say, well, in between the planets in outer space, that's nothing. We know that's not nothing. Because it can be measured. Science, it can be measured. And science uh, is um, saying that they've discovered the end of the universe. Do you know that? <laughs> that they claim that. You know why they have to claim that? How do you deal with anything that doesn't have an end? How do you deal with that? How do you even start to deal with if the universe was infinitely stretching out into forever? So I'm not sure if they are telling the truth, but they claim they've discovered the end of that. Problem is, what is beyond the end of the universe? That's even scarier. That's pretty scary. What's outside? Okay, now, we're going to start to stretch our abilities and increase our capacity so that we can start to look at godliness. Now, within this planet's atmosphere, there's nothing that is nothing. This is part of the material creation, this, air. It's not nothing, it's not empty. It's material. Am I right? There's molecules, there's gases, and it's moving. And it's real. Now, it's not difficult to understand that this is matter. Now God goes even further. He creates matter that seem to be contrary to each other. So we can understand that this floor, that's material substance creation. But then he creates water. And he creates air. So now we have three elements that seems to be completely contradictory. But that is what we have to understand as creation. Am I right? Make sense? We can measure it, we can understand it, we can find out what it is. Okay. Does air have weight? It has volume and it has weight. Yep. Okay. 
Now he's the Holy Spirit. The word holy means completely and utterly separate and different from what? From creation. But it came out of him. He created it, and he created it out of nothing, by his word. Then he separates himself from it, and yet he is also in it. Because you just prove, you've just proven to us that he's everywhere. His spirit. Okay. And then. All that is created as the created world is done away with. So all the universe, all the planets, all that represents created matter. So what is the spirit realm then? if it has to be separate and different from all that he created. Isn't this boring? <laughs> See, it, was, it could seem a little boring when we looked at the virtues. Each one of those virtues had substance, yes, yet it is not of the created world. Fortitude, prudence. How much weight does the concept of fortitude carry? Yet it's not of the material created world at all. Is fortitude a mindset that's developed? An attitude? A discipline? And it carries a huge magnitude and weight. And then, in his plan to reveal who he is. He makes sure that we understand that he's separate by holiness from all that is created. So the New Jerusalem ascends, comes down, do we really have a picture that the city is coming down from somewhere and is going somewhere? Is that the picture we have? We can say yes, but it's the new earth and the new heavens. Material creation is undone, gone, rolled up, swallowed up. Because it gone. says New Jerusalem descends out of heaven, but now would that mean it's no longer in heaven? What is in heaven then? Why and, is it still and, God, and God is in the New Jerusalem. So there's no one in heaven. They're now in the New Jerusalem, which descended somewhere. He, he, got that, he moved. Change of scenery, went on a holiday. 
Pack these bags. I'm testing our, our mindsets. Okay? We, in looking at scriptures like this, concepts like this, we have to be careful for, uh, we have to watch out for our concepts of things. Our material world concepts of things. And that is why we've been tarrying. Because none of these things are of this created world. Yet, we're quite happy to make these things not of the created material world. But then we get here and we <coughs> insist on making this part of our created material world. Because we think, we tend to think that we can put some matter to self-control. These are all, this is all God you're looking at. This is us created in His image and His likeness and then redeemed, recreated, reborn, born again, recreated new creation in His image and His likeness. In His image and His likeness. In His image and His likeness. We are redeemed and born again, recreated, saved into, restored to His image and His likeness. <coughs> what is the list? Omnipresent, all-knowing. Slow to anger, patience. Long-suffering, light. Truth, love, justice. So what really happened to you when you got saved? I'm hoping this is starting to open up the, another level or layer of eternity mindset. Because we're heading towards love. That's where we're going. It is the amazing high point, and it's already started manifesting to us. I wanted to get to love in about four or five weeks' time, just before we go, and he's been manifesting it all through the last week and a half. The truth of love, not what you think, not what you've ever thought about love, not what you have ever understood. No part of what you ever thought love was is going to be valid anymore. Anybody that's wise would open your heart right now very, very widely. Because this is the supernatural part of all this. We can explain things in words. We're looking at the Word of God and we have to deal with it in concepts and 
in matter. What happened when you got saved? Allow the reality of who he is just to fill this room. You allow it. I can manifest it. You receive it. You don't have to know what it is. Don't put words to it. Don't put concepts to it. That's what King David had when he walked onto that battlefield. Couldn't have been his physical weight. Couldn't have been his physical abilities. Couldn't have been any knowledge concepts. And yet he had the knowledge of God. What he walked with What did he take onto that battlefield? This Peter equation invites us to connect where we are standing here in redemption to the reality of all that God is. And we can start to enter into that, live from that. So how much can you know? How much of the knowledge of God is possible? Okay. How much of the knowledge of God? So as far as I know, as far as I'm aware of, there's nothing of the kingdom of heaven or God that I don't know. Personally. There's nothing in the word that I don't understand. When she decided to answer the call of God and give up her future, she got positioned there in a way that she could enter into knowledge and we could agree. Everything I knew about God couldn't manifest and still something happened. King David was anointed. And then he had to go do something with it. He was sitting with the sheep and God revealed himself to him. It wasn't real. It wasn't real until Goliath came onto the scene. We have to take whatever God gives us and do something with it. The first thing we do is we allow it to change us, to direct us, to lead us. 
does he want to take you? Where is he? Why is he drawing us with cords? Does he want you to be wise or strong? Does he want you to obtain self-control? Is that his purpose? Self-control is so that you can get to him. Virtue is so that you can get to him. See, if I look at the two chapters that we read about King David's life, the Goliath one isn't the big one. That's not the impressive one. That's definitely not the glorious one. Psalm 16 is the glorious one. The Goliath one is just King David doing something with what God gave him. The result of it was Psalm 16. Do yourself a favor and read it over and over. That's why we do this step by step. That's the motivation. So we've now seen that we can get stuck on where we're lacking. We can get stuck on ourselves. We can get in condemnation. That's not where we are supposed to be going. This equation is so that we can do something with what God has already given us. That's the message. So when the material world is gone, everything that is material, air, molecules, water, the universe, that space in between planets, that's still created. Well, when all of that is gone, no more. What is left is God. So next week we'll look a little bit at godliness. Add to your perseverance godliness. So now you know how to do that. Just go and do that. I'll give you a hint. When all the created world is gone, like we're wondering if they found the end of the universe, what is there? And how big is it? So I'll give you a hint. Godliness, if you want to start thinking about it, praying about it, seeking Him, Godliness is when all of you is gone. How big is it? Amen.